Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about virulent victims and harrowing hauntings. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice talents Kristen Mass and Luis Bermudez. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight is written by author Emily 33 and is performed by Kristen Mass. In it, a routine day at school turns into a living nightmare as something decidedly unnatural is unleashed upon the populace. Perhaps we'll discover what the cause of the calamity is all about. That is, if anyone survives. Without further ado, I present to you Spring Flu. The 
the spring flu had been going around the school like usual, but some people were sicker than normal. They didn't just have fever and headache. Their faces were blotchy, their eyes bulged, and they all wheezed like they'd just run up ten flights of stairs without stopping. Kara McCormick was the first one who was really serious, though. I had the pleasure of being in bio with her when she opened her mouth to answer a question, but vomited a fountain of blood instead. She was only the first. Pretty soon, classes were being constantly interrupted by students turning ashen and sprinting out the door, trying to make it to the bathroom before everything came up. The nurse's office was flooded with wheezing, puking, fainting patients in a matter of hours. Of course, this being 1991, we didn't have the option of calling parents to pick us up. Going to the nurse was the only option. We didn't know yet the nurse's calls to the outside weren't going through. And at that point, no one cared. Because halfway through lunch, someone walked into the boys' bathroom and found Paul Moshoff lying dead in a puddle of blood and vomit. Unsurprisingly, all hell broke loose. The panic was indescribable. All pretenses of having classes stopped. Teachers herded us into the gym, but it was impossible to get 700 terrified teenagers to sit quietly when their friends could be dying. Meanwhile, people were still getting sick. I remember gingerly patting someone's back as she wheezed and tried to catch her breath, imagining that I could see plague germs crawling on her sweater, up my arm, and swarming over my skin. I jerked my hand away and immediately felt terrible for being so callous. Just then, a handful of teachers filed back into the gym, wearing lab coats borrowed from the science department. The makeshift masks that covered their mouths and noses transformed them from teachers we'd known for years into nameless robots. They corralled us into lines and called students up one by one. After a hasty examination, no stethoscopes, no thermometers, just a quick once-over, kids were sent outside or to the back of the gym. In, out. In, 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 out, out, out. They were separating us, sick from healthy. As I drew closer to the front of the line, I suddenly felt a hand squeeze mine and practically jumped out of my skin. Chill out, it's just me, a voice whispered. I relaxed slightly at the sight of my best friend, Katie but her pinched, worried face had me concerned all over again. Are you sick? She asked nervously, her eyes searching my face. I don't think so, I said, realizing that I hadn't even stopped to think about that all day. I ran through a mental checklist. Chills? No. Fever? No. Wheezing? No. Uncontrollable vomiting? Obviously not. I guess I'm safe for now. How are you? Are you... Next! A masked teacher barked, beckoning me up to the front of the line. I meekly stepped up and opened my mouth as instructed. 
Auditorium, he said brusquely, checking something off on his clipboard. Why are we going to... I began, but he cut me off without meeting my eyes. Auditorium now! I slinked off and tried to wait for Katie, but another teacher snapped at me to move along. I stopped and gaped at him. It was my physics teacher, Mr. Clay's, who had seen me every single day for two years, and now he wouldn't even look at me. Mr. Clay's, what's going on? I asked, immediately embarrassed by how squeaky and terrified my voice came out. Why aren't we being sent home? Where are the sick kids going? Why- I can't tell you anything. Just get to the auditorium. He snapped. I gaped at him. What the hell was going on? Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Katie emerge from the doors, and I felt weak with relief. At least we were still together. We hustled off to the auditorium, where groups of students were huddled together, glancing around wildly every time someone entered the room, looking for their friends. Masked teachers stood around the walls and hushed us every time someone spoke. I grabbed Katie's arm and steered her into a row of seats far from the teachers. Katie, something's wrong, I began, whispering as quietly as possible. Did you just notice? She snapped hysterically. Or is this a normal occurrence for you? People dying in the middle of the school day? No, obviously. I mean, something's wrong with the teachers. Why aren't they letting us out? They should be sending us home, or at least bringing doctors in here. But they're cooping us up with other sick kids. Do our parents know? What's happening? We have no way of knowing what's going on. Her eyes widened in horror. Well, they have us separated. So we should be okay, right? For how long? I whispered back. Yeah, we're separated, but we've all been exposed. Just you wait. Pretty soon, someone in the healthy room with us is going to start spewing. We can't stay away from it. Katie, we're all gonna get it. We're all gonna die. We need to get out of here. Quiet down, now. A voice barked. I hadn't even realized that my voice was escalating in panic. The room started to swirl and I couldn't slow down my breathing. Oh my god, was I getting sick? I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die! My brain was screaming. Emily, you need to calm the hell down, Katie said. Come on, breathe. In and out. In and out. We're going to be fine. We're going to get out of here, and everything will be okay. I nodded weakly and put my head between my knees. Breathe in, breathe out. Katie rubbed my back gently. Everything will be okay, she murmured again. She was wrong. Kids in the auditorium with us started getting sick, just like I predicted. It started with heavy wheezing as they struggled to get air into their lungs. Their faces turned pasty and blotchy, and they shivered violently like leaves in a high wind. Friends of the sick kids tried to shield them from the teachers, but they couldn't hide the inevitable vomit and blood. Teachers grabbed the sick ones by the elbows and marched them out, 
To where, we didn't know. Katie and I huddled in a corner. At some point, I realized I was crying, but I couldn't remember when I had started. I don't know how long we were in that auditorium. It felt like years, but was probably just a few hours before the vice principal poked her head in and beckoned for the teachers to go outside. Everyone looked around at each other nervously, for fear that the teachers would come back in and scream at us. But they didn't come back. Finally, one senior boy stood up. I'm going out, he said, voice shaking. We're right by the front doors. We can get out. Come on, who's with me? This is insane. We were all frozen on the spot. He stared us down until finally a few others stood and walked to the doors to join him. They peeked out the doors and quietly tiptoed out into the hall. The rest of us sat in terrified silence, waiting. And then there was a scream. The doors are locked! We can't get out! It was a match that lit us on fire. Suddenly, we weren't frozen to the spot and silent anymore. We leapt over chairs and ran out of the room to the massive glass doors. Hysteria took over. Kids were banging on the doors, screaming, throwing heavy objects at them. But the thick glass wouldn't give. Oh my god, we were all going to die. What was happening? I had to be dreaming. This wasn't possible. The teachers had locked us in here. Someone shouted a warning as a group of teachers rounded the corner. Katie seized my hand, and we took off at a dead run. Kids fanned out all over the school trying to escape. We banged on every door, but to no avail. They were locked and blocked off. I saw Mr. Clay's running full tilt towards us, so I panicked and dragged Katie into the first open classroom I saw, and we piled chairs against the door to keep him out. Then, breathing heavily, we turned around. Bodies were stacked everywhere. My head reeled, and I almost blacked out. There were so many, at least 15 kids, and I knew some of them. There was Lily, and Danny, and Jennifer, and that girl who sat beside me in calculus and copied my homework. Oh my god. They were dead. They were dead. I couldn't stop repeating the phrase in my mind. A high-pitched noise was building louder and louder, and it took me a minute to realize it was Katie, screaming her lungs out. I lunged at her and slapped her, shocking her into silence. Pull it together, I hissed, acutely aware that I myself was far from pulled together. I can't, she yelled hysterically. I just came to school today like usual, and now I'm going to die. We're all going to die. We're all going to die in a puddle of our own blood while the teachers lock us in. What the hell is going on? What's happening? Why is this happening? She crumpled to the ground and sobbed. Somehow, seeing her fall apart gave me a steely resolve. One of us had to stay sane, and for now, it was going to be me. 
I jerked her roughly to her feet. Come on, we're getting out of here. I ordered. There was no way we were going to hide in a room full of bodies. I'd find somewhere else to wait while we figured out a plan. We crept out the door and tiptoed down the hall to the next classroom. I pulled the handle and flung myself inside. Bodies everywhere, covered in blood. The stench was already setting in. All of their eyes were open. Next classroom. More dead kids. They were everywhere, and I lost count of how many were dead. This plague, or whatever it was, was moving fast. How many people were left alive? I finally slumped to the floor in the third classroom we entered, trying not to look at the bodies. My inner strength drained out rapidly, and I gave in to tears. Suddenly, Katie hushed me. Listen, she whispered, pressing her ear against the door. Out in the hall, I could hear two teachers' voices. I thought I could tell that one of them was Mr. Clay's. I didn't recognize the other one. She was weeping, and her voice cracked on every word. Why is this happening? She choked out. Why can't we get out? Who's doing this to us? I can't do this anymore. I can't see any more kids die. I stared at Katie. Maybe, maybe the teachers weren't the ones locking us in. Maybe it was someone else. But why couldn't they do something about it? They could call 911, and the police could get us out of here. Before I could even open my mouth to whisper to Katie, Mr. Clay's answered my question. I don't know, and the phone lines are dead. I don't know what's going on. We've lost control of the students. We can't separate them anymore, and there are so many dying. They're... I'm... We're just going to have to... His voice trailed off incoherently, and he started hyperventilating. Great, now the teachers were losing it too. We heard footsteps as Mr. Clay's and the other teacher walked away, and then silence. Katie and I fell into a stupor, our heads still leaning against the door. We sat like that until the sky darkened. Katie stirred slightly. Our parents will be wondering about us by now, she murmured. Or people who have to go to work or something, they'll all be late. Someone will find us, right? I couldn't answer. Nothing made sense. It occurred to me that I desperately had to use the bathroom. Somehow, biological needs didn't go away amid terror. Katie and I edged down the hallway quietly, heading for the bathroom, but we didn't even need to bother. No one was around, and the school was silent as the grave, which was fitting, of course. We wandered the halls in a daze, looking for signs of life, but there were none. Were we the last ones alive? I couldn't believe the thought. Surely this disease hadn't killed over 700 people in one day. We fell asleep in a supply closet, the one place that was free of rotting bodies. 
I faded in and out of nightmares, listening to Katie's rhythmic breathing. Suddenly, I jerked out of my half-slumber. Something was wrong. Katie's breathing was no longer regular and even. She was gasping for air, as though her throat was slowly closing in on itself. I stared at her in horror, and she stared back, starting to shake with chills. No! Oh my god, no! This can't be happening! Not you too! I gabbled breathlessly. Not Katie too. Hadn't enough people died? I prayed to any god that might be out there to rescue us. But no one came. We were all alone. I watched Katie's terrified face transform into red and white patches and felt her skin radiate heat. I held her tightly as she shook uncontrollably, teeth chattering so much that she couldn't speak. Not Katie. Not Katie, not Katie, please God. Not Katie. Her rasping breath grew louder and louder, and something in her face changed, like she could see death coming for her. Emily, please she started to say, but I never found out what she wanted, because the next thing I knew, she was retching blood all over me. Have you ever held your dying best friend in your arms, and watched the light leave her eyes? Have you ever screamed and sobbed to an empty universe when you felt her heart stop beating? Have you sat there for hours and felt her skin cool? I don't remember how long I was there before the SWAT team came. I don't know who alerted them or how they got in. I remember wandering the school in a daze, the only living person in a mausoleum. I do remember being in the hospital for a very long time. I remember not speaking for months. I remember the police and the social workers sitting me down and explaining that one of the biology teachers apparently had a secret lab in his home and had cooked up this virus. No one knew why. No one had ever suspected something like that coming from him. It didn't matter. You might be surprised, but I never looked into the case file or found out more about what happened. Nothing mattered. In one day, I had lost everyone. At 16 years old, I knew the horror of staring at body after body of my friends and teachers, until I was utterly numb to the sight. And I have spent the rest of my life wondering why I alone lived. Even after more than 20 years, when spring flu season comes around, I see one sick person, and I'm instantly back at high school covered in the blood of my dead best friend. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed Spring Flu as written by Emily 33 and performed by Kristen Mass. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you as written by Christopher Gideon and brought to life by voice actor Luis Bermudez. In it, a gentleman recovering from a motor vehicle accident at home is tasked with keeping a journal as part of his therapy. And it's a good thing he does, because as he's about to discover, he's going to have an awful lot to write about. Without further ado, I present to you The Staircase. July 5th, 2010. I... I don't really know what to say. Last week, I was in a bad car crash. The doctors said that I suffered some brain injuries in the crash and that it's a miracle that I'm not dead. They also said that I needed to stay on top of things, especially when it came to memory. I guess I'm supposed to be writing in a diary for two months? Two whole months. I, I'm i a man. Men don't write in diaries. <sighs> but Dr. Schneider said that this would be good for me. I guess that means I'm going to be writing for a while. It doesn't have to be everything that I do every day, just one or two things that happen to me each day. So I guess day one is going to be my personal information. My name is James Hunter. I live in Sheboygan, Michigan. It's not a huge house. It's basically just the upstairs and the basement. I have an attic, but I haven't ever been up there. I guess one of my favorite things about this house is the fact that it's secluded. I live out in the country, so no one ever goes past here. That makes it the perfect spot for murder. I'm not a murderer. The truth is... I got this house for a really low cost because someone was murdered in it a year before I moved in. I don't really know much about the murder, but I know that the body was found on the old wooden staircase that leads from the basement to the garage. Anyway, uh, a young couple moved into the house six months later and left a month later when they found the basement steps broken. They were sure it was a ghost that broke the stairs. They found out later that the steps were old and rotten and the husband fell through while he was sleepwalking but they refused to move back in. That's why I moved here. I'm a huge fan of the paranormal. I saw my grandmother's ghost appear at the foot of my bed once when I was 11 years old. Ever since then, I've been trying to get another ghost to appear to me. So far, no luck. However, I'm hopeful that this house will bring me the paranormal experience I crave so badly. In fact, when I moved in here on June 12th of this year... I spent my entire first night here examining that staircase. 
It's actually very interesting. There apparently used to be access to the area under the steps for storage, but that was closed off when the staircase was remodeled. Now it's surrounded by walls of concrete, and I can't even see through to the area underneath. The vertical wooden planks that connect to the horizontal ones fill up all the open space. Sorry, diary. I know you didn't want to hear some dumb ghost enthusiast talk about a creaky old staircase. I just hope that there is some actual paranormal activity going on here. I've been living here for a month now, and so far, no luck. Anyway, I think that's plenty for one day. I'm going to go to bed now. Talk to you tomorrow. Ugh, I'm talking to my diary like it's a person. I really am going insane. Note to self, if you name this diary, I'm calling the men in the white jackets. July 16th, 2010. After 12 boring entries in this journal, I finally have something worth writing about. Something happened to me last night. Something extraordinary. I was lying in bed, trying to fall asleep when I heard something coming from the basement beneath my room. It sounded like something heavy scraping across the cement floor. Excited, I jumped out of bed, grabbed the flashlight from my kitchen table, and rushed down the stairs to the basement. Naturally, the first thing I did was stand on the wooden staircase and scan the entire room. Nothing seemed out of place. Hello? I asked the dark room. Is someone there? I waited for a while, but received no response. Can I talk to whoever is here? I don't want to hurt you. Can you tell me your name? Again, I was answered with silence. Curious as to what I heard move, I grabbed the biggest thing in my basement, which was the dryer, and pulled it away from the wall. It made a loud, scraping sound, but it wasn't quite like what I heard. I then tried the same thing with the washing machine, workbench, and treadmill, but none of these sounded right. The workbench sounded most like what I thought I heard, but it still didn't seem right. I stayed up until 3.30 this morning searching for answers, but there was still no evidence that a ghost was involved. July 17th, 2010 Call me crazy if you want. Maybe I am crazy. I still have no clue who these comments are directed at. I guess I'll just assume that Dr. Schneider will end up reading these journal entries. Anyway, I called in a psychic today. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Doesn't he know that psychics just scam your money? Well, I'm not so sure. The psychic's name was Lori Marvin. She came in early this morning to scan my house for spiritual activity. Surprise, surprise. She knew that something very dark had happened on those steps in the basement. I swear I didn't tell her anything before she went down there. She said that she was getting a strong reading from a spirit named Carlton as she stood on the wooden staircase leading to the garage. That's all that she could tell me. I asked if he meant any harm, but she told me that she didn't know. Still, Carlton is something to go on. After Miss Marvin left, I decided that it was time for me to hit the internet and see if anyone named Carlton has died recently in Sheboygan. As it turns out, Carlton Mueller was the name of the man who was murdered by Tyler Frank, his business partner, on those wooden stairs last year. Who's a fraud now, huh? July 23rd, 2010 I know, I know. 
I'm sorry that I haven't been writing in my journal recently. To tell the truth, I've been so busy with my new job as Sheboygan's new newspaper editor that I haven't had time. I figured that writing in newspapers was similar enough to writing in my journal that it would be okay. Dr. Schneider, however, told me yesterday that it was not okay and that these journals are for my own benefit. He said that I'm supposed to be writing to help me remember my life. I guess it's a little true. Ever since my entry on the 19th about going fishing with Jerry, my memory's been a little foggy. I guess I'll have to remember to write in this journal more often. Oh well, I sincerely apologize to myself. I accept. <laughs> Hooray. Cake and beer all around. July 29th, 2010 Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm so happy. I could cry. Actually, I'll be honest. I did cry. I wrote in my diary and I cried, but I don't even care how curly that makes me sound anymore. I have seen the most amazing thing in my entire life. I was lying in my bed last night when I realized that I had left the bathroom light on. So I rolled over and got out of bed. I opened up my bedroom door and looked down the hallway. What I saw actually almost made me wet my pants. It was a man. A grown man. He was standing on the other end of the hallway, just staring at my bedroom door. The light from the bathroom illuminated his face beautifully. He had a tall head with short black hair. A few whiskers were scattered across his face, giving him a rugged, tired look. Hello. I asked nervously. The man didn't answer. Are you Carlton? I forced the words out of my mouth. To my delight, the figure nodded. I was talking to a ghost. I couldn't believe it. Just to make sure I wasn't dreaming, I pinched my arm as hard as I could. The intense pain convinced me that this was real. How did you die? I inquired. Of course... I already knew the answer. I just wanted the ghost to speak to me. Sadly, he did not. He simply stared at me with steady eyes. I don't know how long Carlton and I looked at each other. It could have only been ten minutes, but it felt more like an hour. No matter what I asked, the ghost of Carlton Mueller would not speak to me. The only response I received from Carlton all night was when he nodded his head to confirm that he was, in fact... Carlton. I finally returned to my bed after bidding Carlton goodnight. When I woke up this morning, he was gone. August 3rd, 2010. Well, I was starting to get worried that Carlton wouldn't show up again. Every morning that I wake up since I first saw him, I find the furniture in the dining room, living room, and basement completely rearranged. I knew that this was Carlton, and I didn't care. Really, it's just that, well, I wished he'd show his face again. And he did. Last night, I was sleeping soundly when I heard something move in my room. I woke up and rolled over, expecting to see a chair on its side, courtesy of my good friend Carlton Mueller. Instead, I saw Carlton himself standing over my bed, staring down directly into my eyes. I nearly screamed, but I didn't want to scare him away. So I quietly whispered, Hello, 
Carlton. Carlton didn't react. I asked him if he wanted me to wake up. Once again, he stood in place, like a statue. I tried to get him to answer me, but just like on the night of July 28th, he didn't move a muscle. Finally, I sighed and rolled over. I have mixed feelings. On one hand, I'm glad that I saw Carlton again. On the other hand, I definitely did not like the way he stood in the middle of my bedroom staring at me while I slept. Who knows how long he was there after I fell asleep. More importantly, what if he stands there every night and last night was just the first time I saw him? The malicious look in his dark eyes as he stared at me was unsettling. August 4th, 2010 I couldn't sleep last night. Yesterday I thought that I wasn't scared of Carlton. I thought that after a day I'd have had enough time to get over it. Now, however, I'm positive that I am actually intimidated. In fact, intimidated is an understatement. I lay awake in my bed all night long, shaking like crazy. I couldn't stand the thought of waking up and seeing Carlton watching me with such a malevolent glare again. I don't know how Tyler Frank killed Carlton Mueller, but it must have been horrible. That is one pissed off spirit. But I can't let my emotions control me like this. Writing in my journal may very well be the only thing keeping me sane after that incident, which is ironic since I feel like I'm talking to myself. Regardless of whether or not I'm actually insane, I will not let Carlton's presence in my house affect me like this. This is my house, not his. I shouldn't have to leave just because of a ghost. More importantly, if I let him scare me like this, he will feed on my fear and very likely he will do it again. I really don't want him to scare me again. However, know this. Carlton, if you try to scare me again, I will not be afraid. I will not leave my house because of you, Carlton Mueller. August 5th, 2010 Well, this is a good reason to celebrate. It's been a month since I was assigned this project, and that means I only have a month left. I would crack open a bottle of champagne if I wasn't scared to death of going into the basement. Last night, I didn't sleep again. All night, I heard noises coming from the basement. I kept my bedroom door closed and locked as if ghosts needed to use doors. I don't know what Carlton's doing down there, but it's really annoying. At least I can rely on the fact that as long as he's moving stuff around downstairs, he can't be watching me upstairs. And all night long, I kept hearing that scraping noise over and over. That same scraping noise. That's another thing. I wish I knew what that was. I've completely rearranged everything in my basement since that first night when I heard Carlton. But nothing makes that specific sound. I just can't figure out what it is. I am absolutely 100% positive that nothing in my basement makes that noise. So what is it? August 6th, 2010 so I saw Dr. Schneider yesterday, again. He said that my head injury may have affected me worse than he originally thought. He said that insomnia might be due to brain damage. I laughed and explained that I've been staying awake because a ghost watches me when I sleep. For some reason, 
that didn't comfort him. August 14th, 2010. I went downstairs. I finally got up the courage to go down into my basement. Of course, I didn't see Carlton. There were no signs that Carlton had ever been down there. In fact, everything in the basement was exactly the way I left it when I last came upstairs. I was kind of hoping that I would see something out of place so that I knew that Carlton was moving around down there. Actually, it's kind of odd. Every morning I still find things in different places than where I left them. However, these occurrences are confined only to my living room, kitchen, dining room, guest bedroom, and bathroom. The basement and my bedroom remain untouched. Weird, huh? Anyway, I'm glad that I went down to the basement. It made me feel safer, being in the place I knew to be the source of Carlton's ghost and yet experiencing nothing paranormal. It was somewhat comforting. I mean, I haven't seen Carlton since he woke me up on the night of the second. Maybe he knows that he scared me and maybe he didn't mean to. I'm starting to think that Carlton might not be such a bad guy after all. August 21st, 2010 I can't handle this anymore. Every day I sit down at my desk and write down whatever it was that I did that day like some lab rat. I feel like a child who's been ordered to color a picture. I am not Snyder's damn lab rat. Last night, I left my door unlocked. It's been almost 20 days since I saw Carlton in my bedroom, so I thought I might be safe. God, why am I so unlucky? I woke up at 3 a.m. this morning, and I knew instantly that there was someone standing over me. I slowly rolled over and, of course, saw Carlton. But he wasn't standing in the same place he was in the last time he was in my room. This time, he was standing right over my bed. He looked different than he had before, too. His hair was much messier than I remembered seeing it the first night. And his eyes, they made me shudder. They were surrounded by darkness, and the first thought I had when I saw them was evil. I had never really considered Carlton evil before last night. Maybe a troublemaker, a creeper, and a bit mischievous, but not evil. I gasped loudly when I saw him. His reaction didn't change as usual. Carlton! I nearly shouted. Remembering to keep my emotional distress to a minimum, I corrected my tone and continued. Why are you here? As I predicted, Carlton didn't reply. Please leave, I said quietly, not breaking my eye contact with him. Carlton's eyes widened to a frightening size, and his head tilted a little bit. No, 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 I said quickly, sitting up and backing up to the other side of my bed. I didn't mean that you should leave the house. I, I meant you should leave my bedroom. Please. I added when Carlton's eyes narrowed and his nostrils flared angrily. Look, I don't want you to leave the house, I insisted. I want you to stay. Very slowly and deliberately. Carlton moved around my bed to the side that I had crawled to. But, you know, when I'm sleeping, that's my time, Carlton. When the ghost didn't stop, I scooted back over to the side of the bed I woke up on. Carlton, please, don't hurt me. I've never done anything to hurt you. Why would you go after me? Carlton didn't answer. He walked quietly to the foot of my bed and stood there with his usual overseeing attitude. He didn't leave until I fell asleep again.
I woke up this morning and found my bedroom door open. I can't live like this for much longer. If I can't get Carlton out of this house, I'm going to have to move out and let someone else deal with him. August 22nd, 2010 I locked my bedroom door again last night, and there was no sign of Carlton. I'm never unlocking that door again. I think Carlton thinks it's my way of welcoming him into my bedroom. I just hope I didn't hurt his feelings. Wait, what am I saying? I hope I didn't hurt the ghost's feelings? That's ridiculous. He came into my home, moved all my stuff, scared me to death, and I'm saying that I hope I didn't hurt his feelings? Forget that! I hope he went home to his ghost mama, cried ghost tears, ate a whole gallon of ghost ice cream, and ended up losing his ghost leg to ghost diabetes. <sighs> I don't care what Carlton wants anymore. I want Carlton gone. It's really too bad that he's a ghost, because if he wasn't, I'd wish he was dead. And again, I think both Carlton and I would be happier if he was still alive. August 28th, 2010 The exterminator came over today to spray his bug-killing stuff like he was every month since I've moved in here. While he was here, he decided to make my life even more miserable by telling me that I have a termite problem. Why the hell not? I mean, everything else in my life has gone wrong. My house has termites. My life is being tormented by an evil poltergeist. I may or may not have permanent brain damage, and I'm probably going insane because of all this crap put together. <sighs> I want to die. At least then, I'd be able to make someone else's life as horrifying as Carlton has made mine. But wait, I need to get my house fumigated. No, I'm not an idiot. I know that fumigating my house won't kill a ghost. However, it will give me a good reason to move out for a day or two. I'll sleep better than I have in my entire life if I can be sure that I won't wake up with the ghost of Carlton Mueller standing over me. August 29th, 2010 Ah, sweet relief. I decided to move into my hotel room a little prematurely, and I couldn't be happier. The instant I stepped into my room, I thought, this feels more like a home than home does. How about that? But I only have a few days of this. My house is getting fumigated tomorrow, and the bug man said that I should be able to move back in on Tuesday, August 31st. But you know what? I might decide to stay here a little longer. It's nice being able to sleep. September 1st, 2010 Today was the most disturbing day of my life. Yes, it was even more disturbing than when Carlton tried to attack me. I moved back into my house yesterday and slept in my bed. Of course, I locked my bedroom door. I thought that would keep Carlton out. I woke up at three again this morning. I opened my eyes slowly, afraid of what I would find. However, quite predictably, Carlton was standing next to my bed. I sat up quickly. Carlton, please, stay away from me. I begged, but I realized quickly that Carlton wasn't looking at me. He had been looking down at the floor with a sad expression on his face. What? I asked, completely bewildered. When I said this, his head jerked up and his eyes pointed directly into mine. They seemed different tonight, though. 
they were much less hateful. After a moment, Carlton gestured for me to stand up. You want me to stand? I asked. Without answering me, Carlton turned and walked straight through my locked door. I got up quickly and rushed to the door. Unlocking it, I pulled it open hastily and found Carlton standing just on the other side, staring at me as if he could see through the door. I jumped, but prevented myself from screaming. Carlton turned around and walked down the hallway to the staircase. It was strange to watch him walk. His feet almost didn't touch the floor, as if he was walking through a pool of neck-high water. Picking up on his urgency, I followed him through the hallway and down the stairs. When Carlton stepped into the basement, I grew wary about following him any further. I had heard some stories that ghosts gained power when they were in the places they were killed. What if he wanted to kill me? My curiosity outweighed my caution, and I entered my basement. With no hesitation, Carlton walked straight through the basement to the wooden staircase on which he was killed. He stopped right next to it and gestured for me to stand at the base of the first step. I did. Carlton pointed to the third and fourth steps, and then gestured toward the ceiling. Am I supposed to... What? Lift them up or something? I asked, confused. Carlton nodded. I felt stupid doing it, but I tried anyway. To my surprise, as I pulled up on the third and fourth steps to the wooden staircase, they shifted slightly. I looked over at Carlton, who nodded stoically. I gulped, realizing that my mouth was uncomfortably dry. I fixed my grip on the steps and pulled up again. This time, they came off of the staircase in one piece with a loud scraping sound. I knew that sound. I knew it so well. I heard it coming from my basement every night. I looked inside the hole made from the lack of the third and fourth steps, but I couldn't see anything. Hold on, I said to Carlton. Let me go and get my flashlight. I dashed up the stairs, grabbed the flashlight from the kitchen table, and ran back down. Carlton was still standing in the exact same place he had been before I left. He pointed inside the hole. I knelt down and shone my flashlight through the stairs. Inside, I saw a body. A dead body. I gagged and dropped the flashlight. It fell to the floor where it flickered and resumed its regular glow. Forcing myself to control my reflexes, I picked up the flashlight and aimed it at the body. It was a man's body, and I saw the face clearly. I felt my entire body was paralyzed. I knew that face. I called the police immediately, and they were there within 15 minutes. They investigated my entire house from top to bottom. They even searched the attic. The sergeant, Dale Turner, asked me to give him a statement, so I told him exactly what happened. I woke up at three, and there was a ghost at the end of my bed. I said, I didn't care if I sounded crazy. He led me down the stairs and into the basement where he showed me how to lift up these steps. So I did, and I found his body. You found whose body? Sergeant Turner asked. The, uh, ghost? Yes, it was the body of Carlton Mueller, I told him. I think his spirit's been trying to communicate with me for a while. I've been seeing his ghost around my house for the past month now. Did you say month? The sergeant inquired. Yeah. I first saw him on July 29th. Ever since then, he kept showing up. Mr. Hunter, 
Sergeant Turner said quietly. This man that you found. We've been looking for him for about two months now. But he's only been dead for a couple of days. I hope you enjoyed This Staircase, as written by Christopher Gideon and performed by Luis Bermudez. Thank you for listening and for joining us tonight for this episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Also, as a reminder, take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Roshek. Logo by Craig Roshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.